Welcome to Open to Wonder, the podcast where we wonder about all kinds of faith questions, big ones, small ones, weird ones, and hard to talk about in church ones. I'm Karen. And I'm Chris. This season, we're going beyond Sunday morning to explore how faith is formed during the hours we spend outside of the church's buildings and programs. If you've ever wondered how faith is both formed and lived out in daily life, you won't want to miss these conversations. So pull up a seat and wonder with us. Hey everyone, I'm going to start today's conversation off with a little Q&A. So here's the cue. What do quilting, playing basketball, and wearing a tuxedo have in common? And here's the A. The answer is Reggie Smith. Reggie is the Director for Diversity for the Christian Reformed Church in North America. And on today's episode of the podcast, we're going to learn how each of those objects played a role in his faith formation on Sunday mornings and beyond. You'll also get to hear Reggie share the way that he begins and ends each day and how that practice shapes his life. And bonus, it's something you can do at home too. So get ready to wonder with Chris, Reggie, and me about how faith is formed beyond Sunday morning and outside of the church walls. Our Open to Wonder conversation with Reggie Smith starts now. Today, we are joined by Reggie Smith, and we are so grateful that he is sitting down with Chris and I. Reggie is the Director for Diversity for the Christian Reformed Church in North America. Prior to working for the denomination, he co-pastored at Northside Community CRC in Patterson, New Jersey, and for more than 20 years was the pastor of Roosevelt Park CRC in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Reggie has served as an adjunct seminary instructor at Calvin Seminary and a columnist for the Banner and is an avid fan of the Chicago Cubs baseball team. And I'm told that that fan love, Reggie, extends to the Chicago Blackhawks and the Bears as well. Should I assume that you also love the Chicago Bulls? Is that... All part of the package? That is all part of the package. It's all part of the package. Okay. (laughs) You are welcome here anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Reg, we we know that you're not just a sports fan, but you you also like to play the game. Uh, I've heard whispers that you have quite a streak going on of playing every week. Uh, What's that like for you? Oh man, it's beautiful. The only thing that messed it up was COVID. COVID, COVID messed up my win streak, and I was going pretty much five days a week, six in the morning, and I've been playing for the last twenty-two years. Oh my goodness! Basketball every wow. fifth, every five to, or, or six, sometimes six days a week. Wow! And and that has kept me. Uh, pastorally uh, sane. Mm-hmm. So it's kept me from homicide and suicide. <laughs> so so tell, tell us a little bit about um, how basketball came to be that place for you and, and maybe even your love for Chicago sports, all things Chicago in, in that process. But, but kind of where did this all come from? How did that get nurtured along the way? 
Well, basketball actually started way, way back when I was a uh, little tyke and, uh, and, and actually just enjoying basketball because it was uh, my school was across the street from where I lived and it was a basketball court. So it was just kind of natural that whenever somebody would show up with a basketball, I was there and and my mom could watch me from the top of the second story porch and know that, you know, having five boys, this is a good way to get the testosterone out of the house and <laughs> and a way to actually even uh, say some stuff that didn't get cracked in the living room and in yep. the dining room. And so that court became kind of a way of helping my mom to uh, uh, get those five boys out of the, out of the apartment. And, and I just kind of kept that up. And that was one of the reasons I ended up at Christian Reformed Church is because they had a multi-purpose gym in the mid-1970s that I didn't know about. And so I followed my, my brother, who really didn't want me to follow him, but I followed him anyway, and then found that found this church that had this multi-purpose gym and like, oh, you can do this even in the winter. Oh man, that, that, that was it for me. And so and that was really my introduction to the Christian Reformed Church uh, as a fifth grader wow. around 1974. Wow. So, so Reggie, so basketball led you to church I'm wondering what helped, was was there a person or something at that particular church or in your life that helped form your faith? Oh, yeah, that, that was formed way, way back, even before that, because, you know, my parents came up from Mississippi as part of the Great Migration in the uh, okay. early uh, 1960s. And they were both uh, African-American Baptist uh, members. So I grew up in the African-American Baptist church. And and that was really kind of the community that really formed me uh, mm-hmm. in terms of my faith. So, you know, I was I was I sung in a choir. Uh, I was an usher, uh, and being an usher in the uh, uh, church during that time meant that I had to wear a tuxedo. Whoa! Actual tuxedo <laughs> during the service. So I had I had tuxedos that were. Yellow and brown, I had green, I had light blue, I had black and white, and so it, it was. I mean, I've been awesome. the church clean every every Sunday, wow. but knowing that I had to stay pretty much from eight o'clock in the morning till ten o'clock at night, that was the entire day. Wow. And so, so I grew up, you know, used to being in church all day. Yeah. From, you know, that, that was just normal for us. And so, uh, but it was in that church that I, I learned about, you know, the, the civil rights movement and about mm. the power of the black church and how the church formed, formed for uh, politics and, and policy and freedom. And, and so, you know, the black church formed me at a very, very early age about leadership, about uh, the power of grace, about the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, what it means to live in an intergenerational kind of context. Uh, so before I ended up at that church in uh, at Lawndale, I was already formed uh, by the Black church and, and mm. extremely grateful uh, 
for for that for that formation. Yeah. Uh, you you named um, in a couple ways here. You've named intergenerational mm-hmm. as being pretty important. Um, who who are some of the people that that really shaped you? Um, some of the older people who shaped you when you were a kid um, and shaped your faith. Oh man, uh, her name is Miss Mac Reynolds. She was the head of the Junior Ushers, and and she was always a stickler for detail, which I hated. And <laughs> she would say, you, "You have to make sure you have your white because we wore white gloves." You have to wear okay. white gloves as an usher and, and you have to make sure you have your bow tie on and make sure that you are proper and prim so that when you are introducing people into church and escorting them to the pew, you have to be at your very best. So Miss mm. Mike Reynolds really kind of drilled in me. Uh, you want to give God your best mm. and, and giving God your best meant that, uh, Presentation also plays a key part in that. And, and so Miss McReynolds, uh, I can still see her. She's still, she, she's still alive. I can't believe mm. it. And, and uh, at my old, my, my old church that I grew up in, she's got to be like 98, 99. And she was just one who really cared about uh, doing excellent for, for the Lord. And probably uh, another person that was really, really key uh was I had an, old, uh, an aunt, and this aunt, uh, you know, everybody's got that aunt that they don't like. And, <laughs> you met and, my aunt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you get that aunt, they're like, oh, Lord, please don't let me have to go over her house. And, and, and she was the aunt that uh, my parents, they lived in her apartment before they got their own apartment when they came up from Mississippi. And, and her name was, we call her Amy. Her name was Ida Lomax. And she was the only person I knew that was born in the 19th century. She was born in 1894. Wow. And, and because uh, she moved and lived across the street from us, us older kids, four of us, had to spend the night with her because that was part of our duty. And we would complain to our parents, please don't let me go. She's, she smells. She's, <laughs> she makes us she makes us she makes us quilt and and i can remember going over to our house going to our apartment and it was quilting and i had to hold these quilt patches these court these called fat quarters and she would sit there and would talk to me and i can see in the window the kids playing basketball because it's right next door and i'm thinking to myself this is the most boringest <laughs> thing ever. I'm quilting with my great aunt. What could be worse? <laughs> and you know, being a, and being a you know small kid, but I, I can remember that she she really taught me a lot about history hmm. and 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 how my family on, on my father's side. Uh, people I had very little knowledge about. But she was kind of this wealth of kind of institutional memory of, of people that I, you know, thought were long gone, but she made them come alive again. And, and just an appreciation for how she put that into me, telling me those stories and how important storytelling is from, mm. from older people 
because it gives us a sense of a, a legacy and, and that everything didn't start with me. Hmm. And that I'm, I'm a part of a long line of, of really strong and resilient African-Americans who, who came up from the South and they brought their church and their formation with them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and my aunt, my, my auntie did that. And uh, so I spent many, many days that I would, uh, I would spend nights with her and, and, and I had to, and I had to listen to a, these old, you know, I don't know if you remember these old Victrola radios, they're mm-hmm. like high wooden mm-hmm. and, and we would listen to uh, WMAQ for the news. And that's all she listened to news and church music, church music and news. <laughs> that's, that's all she listened to. And so it really, it, it really was kind of the first time that she really whet my appetite for history and journalism, which I ended up majoring in in college. First of all, I love the way that, you know, you, you mentioned it being an intergenerational environment and the way you were included as a child, like, of course you would be an usher in a tuxedo and of course you would help your aunt quilt. I mean, in many contexts, we'd see that, well, that's for older kids or you got to try out or that's, you know, that's not for this boy, but, but that you were included. And you mentioned storytelling and how the impact that that has had on you. And I'm just wondering, um, the practice of storytelling, is that like, you've just told us two stories, how has hearing stories and also, do you, you know, weave storytelling into your own life or into your, your ministry? How does that form faith? Hearing stories, telling stories. Why is that important? Oh, wow. I mean, as a kid growing up in, in my church, uh, that was mainly what the preacher did. The preacher mm. weave story and mm. read uh, not only personal story, but also scripture in a way that just really brought it alive that, you felt like you were walking in the scriptures as opposed wow. to just listening to the scriptures. And, and so it, it was, uh, it was really uh, conflicting for me when I started attending seminary that it was more of a abstract surgical approach to scripture as opposed to a, a moving story picture person driven kind of story mm. telling that was happening. And and I I I I would just be enthralled with preachers, uh, you know, whether that was King or or other really prominent uh, African American preachers, uh, that they were able to take you into the story, make that story come alive and 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 always lead out with joy. Mm. I, I I think I, I learned and was formed for joy mm-hmm. and, and always the sense of that, that there's celebration because if, if you have gone through tough times during that week, you had to come to church to be reminded again of your somebodyness mm. oh, and that, wow. that the issues of life wasn't kind of the last word, but rather Sunday, Friday may be here, but Sunday is coming. Mm-hmm. And so there was always this sense of celebration and coupled with uh, the, 
the mu the musicality that music brings to so we were being informed by both word and music and storytelling that uh, I, I'm just grateful that I grew up in this kind of context yeah and and that I'm always going back to it uh, during times when I'm I feel like I'm struggling or trying to make sense of everything that seems to be going on in the world mm -hmm. is is to be brought back to uh, that that little church on the Chicago West Side that you find joy here. Mm -hmm. wow. And you can take that joy outside from Monday through Saturday. Mm -hmm. You know, talking about that a bit, it seems to me that you're you're framing joy as a counterbalance to the experiences throughout the week. So the there there's something of uh they they go together, they interact with each other. Right. Um what what has that been like for you both both in terms of the joy spaces, but also the lament spaces to have yeah. them have Sunday morning dialoguing with the rest of the week. Um, yes. And the rest of the week dialoguing back with Sunday, like how, how has that played out in your life? Oh man, I, it, it played out all the time because, you know, I lived in a community where everybody on my block was from someplace else. They were mm. either from Mississippi or Alabama or Arkansas or Tennessee. Mm -hmm. uh, most, most of the apartments were all pretty much intergenerational. So there was no kind of nuclear family. There was always somebody, like a grandmother, a grandfather, uh, a cousin, a play cousin. I mean, there were, yep. you, you were, in a sense, connected to all these people who shared this, this common journey. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and they were all churched. They were, yep. So, I mean, in the sense of, I had more mothers than just my my mother. Mm -hmm. I had more fathers than just my father. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do anything wrong on my block because neighbors would whoop me and then bring me home. And then I get a second whooping, <laughs> which brought on more suffering. <laughs> and, and, but there was this, there was this sense of that. We, we, we took, we took ownership of each other's children. There, there was not this sense of that that's my family and we're separated and, and the two should never meet. But but there was always back with, you know, the Lord doesn't like that. Mm -hmm. There was there was always some, you know, didactic wisdom or or correction. And and most of the families, I knew what was going on in, in, in their in their lives and. And all, all of the outside things that we were battling from, from poverty to redlining to uh, all, all those things that were happening in the 60s and, and, and 70s. But even in the midst of that, we, we nev I never pulled into despair. Mm -hmm. Because despair was was kind of an abyss that you didn't want to get into because you had no way to get out. Mm. And I, and I've seen you know friends and brothers who who got caught up in in that cycle, and and they never made it out. So uh, the unholy trinity of jail, drugs, or death 
was always looming mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. for for me and, and a lot of young men in my neighborhood. But it was those church people who kept stepping in the breach and and would be giving little reminders of you were meant for more. Mm-hmm. Reggie, have you, I mean, you're, you're painting such a beautiful picture of what it means to live as an intergenerational family of God um, throughout the weekend on Sunday morning. And I'm wondering, you know, that was your, that was your childhood, the, those formative years. Are you, have you experienced that kind of intergenerational family of God in churches as an adult? Are you, are you, are you seeing it in places and, and what can we learn from that in places where we're not doing that? Right. I see it a lot in ethnic and diaspora communities. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I see that uh, in my 20 years in living uh, on the southwest side of Grand Rapids, uh, I see families who are living intergenerational. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that is a, a absolutely beautiful thing. So when right now, my, my neighborhood is kind of undergoing another uh, transition in which we're now getting West African families from Liberia and Rwanda and the Congo. So there's, there's always been these, these kinds of families uh, where the diaspora has come, it's always come into my neighborhood, mm-hmm. whether that was Dutch now Hispanic, and now West African. And so those kinds of families really exude kind of a little bit what I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that there's something that we can learn about that because I think in, in the Western sense, we are so individualistic. Yeah. And, and I think that individualism has some good points, but at the same time, it has some really bad points that we don't need other people in our mm-hmm. lives. I, I can do it all by myself, which, which is really a false choice. And it, where the rest of the world is communal. Right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so what, can, what I've been really seeing is that these uh, kinds of families are gonna be leading us in, yeah. in terms of, here's, here's what authentic faith looks like and authentic spiritual formation looks like it's 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 all of these people who are shaping us yeah and 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 no one is having you know the majority part but but rather everyone is getting a slice of somebody Hmm. is who is in it you know offering something of value and, and I think that's where, I think truly that's where we get worth and value from. Yeah. Yeah. It, you, you don't get that as an individual. You get that from a community. I mean, what, what you're really in some sense talking about is um, our identity being formed in the, the places that we belong. Mm. Those experiences of community belonging um, and, and in that belonging, going, oh, this is who I am. I am these. I am with these people. I'm of these people. Yes. And and that type of identity formation, I think you're you're right. Really, um, 
really plays into our, our spiritual formation as well, mm-hmm. our spiritual identity in Christ. Um, the, you know, the, the Heidelberg Catechism Q&A 1, um, you know, it, it, we start off with that profession that I, my only comfort is I belong yes. to Jesus Christ. And, yes. and that sense of belonging being the root of our, our identity, um, that, that's a pretty powerful base to work from. Um, it, it, it gets me thinking about something I've heard you say. So I'm, I'm going to quote you. Um, I hope I get the quote right. <laughs> and I think it touches on belonging and the way belonging has played out in different ways for you in your life. And I, I'd love for you just to react to it. You, you said to me once, Chris, I am, I'm an African-American pastor called by an old Dutch church to serve in a quickly changing Hispanic neighborhood. What do I do with that? Mm-hmm. And and you named in that all these different identities that were being pushed together. Your identity as a pastor, your identity as an African-American man, your identity as pastoring in a largely uh, a majority Dutch white uh, yes. kind of settler community. Yes. Um, your identity pastoring a, a neighborhood in many ways that was, was going through huge transitions Yes, and, and really, uh, uh, you know, so all these identities, how, how do you navigate all that? What, what does that, what does that do? I, I think it made me a couple of things. I think it made me curious. I, I think it made me curious enough to say, there's a lot I don't know and I need to find out. Okay. And, you know, whether that was, you know, a Dominican family that moved next door to the parsonage and who are the DSs and connecting with their three boys. Here's where basketball becomes formational because I have a basketball hoop above my garage and a kid named Anthony says, hey, are you the pastor of this church? I say, yeah. But you're black. Mm. Yeah. Can 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 we play basketball here? I say, yeah, sure. And that became part of building a relationship with his family. And all of all three, I've been to their weddings. I've been to their funerals. Hmm. They never joined the church. Never joined. But they are the ones who call me when they got issues about life. Mm-hmm. And, and what I'm finding out is that identity comes relationally. Hmm. It mm-hmm. answers the question, because we're all asking that question, who am I? Mm. And who do I want to be? We can't be what we can't see. Mm. You can't be mm. what you can't see. So we can we can talk about Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, but if it's not modeled in a human being's life in which we are in close proximity to, we don't see it. Mm. And, and I think that here's where our, our rational, our rationalism, our rationalism 
gets in the way. Because one of the most powerful still texts in, in, in the Bible is Jesus moved into the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. He didn't commute. He didn't send a fax or, or email or text. He lived it. Mm-hmm. And I think how communities open up space for there to be formation. And everybody adds value to a life. And unfortunately, in our in our Western understanding, we've kind of segment segmented that. We segregated ourselves. Mm-hmm. We self-segregated. Yeah. By lifestyle to say, I have nothing to give you. Mm-hmm. Yep. And in some ways saying, I'm selfish about what's comfortable for me. You know, you, you mentioned um, segregating ourselves, and I want to get back to you, Anthony's family. You, you described how um, your life intersected with theirs, with, you know, death and loss and all the things that their daily life and your the faith, they, they, they intersected with that. And yet you said, but they, they didn't join the church. And I wonder if some, I mean... I, it feels like my experiences often are, you know, you get the question, of, but have they started going to church? Have they, right? Like, well, yeah, you said yeah. you evangelized, but have yeah. they joined the church? What, what are the numbers there? And so um, can you talk a bit about that? Like yeah. the, the difference between they join the church or they've opted not to, Maybe perhaps they're not there yet, or perhaps for whatever reason, they've said no. But their faith is being formed relationally. Can you can you talk a bit about the importance of that, or should we be okay with the fact that someone says, "Well, no, I'm not. I don't want to be part of the church." Yeah, I think we need to be okay with that because, first of all, number one, keeping score is about us. Mm. And and when and when we when we say questions, well, did you join the church? Yeah. That's an evaluative question to say, can we check that? As opposed to saying, the Holy Spirit works long and wide and deeper and is not interested in us keeping score. But more of the question is, will you play the limited role in which you've been given? Mm -hmm. Just as Paul said, sometimes some of us plant, some of us cultivate. But what does Paul say? God grows it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't get control over that. And I think too often we want to control the process rather than trust the process. That, you know, uh, that before Anthony came there, the Holy Spirit was already working. Right. Mm. Do we actually believe that the Holy Spirit is previous to us and not after us? Yeah. And I and I think it, it for families is is to give themselves give themselves a break that everything is not up to you, right? To form your children, mm-hmm. there will be other things in which formation will happen, and you will not get credit for it. Mm-hmm. Are you okay with that? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many of us have had things in which happened in our lives? 
curveball that was thrown to us, unexpected happenings that we never saw coming. And yet the Lord uses that as even this works for my salvation. I, I, I just think that we do too much evaluative work rather than sitting in a posture of learning and paying attention and noticing and yes. what this podcast is saying, wondering. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how 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 do we not try to take control of everything mm-hmm. which the Lord is doing? So so let me let me lean into that a little bit. I mean, in some sense, there's a there's a great way of saying, you know, let go, let God. Um, we're going to trust that God's got it all under control. Um, but when it comes down to it, Reggie, I mean, that ain't easy. <laughs> and and it's messy. Um, you know, you and I have had conversations about racism in the church. Yep. Racism in extended families, racism in yep. broader communities. Like, it's, it's messy. Um, yep. We talk about the upheaval about the political scene in the States over the last couple of years and how people can't often have a sit down conversation because they don't agree politically. And there's Mm -hmm. so much tension. Yes. How do you persist in that? How does, how does your faith actually find some way of growing when there's so much adversity and conflict and, and, anger and at times violence mixed in all of this. Mm. How do you persist? How does your faith grow? Yeah. I, for me, my faith has grown through those kinds of challenges. And, and what I found is sometimes I have to let go and say, this is not the right time to have this conversation. Hmm. There are times when I said that I, I need to have this conversation and, and live in the conflict intention of that. And then there's other times in which I allow other people to kind of play that role. And I observe, I learn. Mm-hmm. I, I try to remain curious that what I've just kind of previously stated that God is always up to something more than what I can see. And, and I, you know, and to be honest, there's a lot of things I don't want to take responsibility for. Mm. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of folk I don't want to take responsibility for. <laughs> <laughs> Let me count the ways. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and yet, at the same time that God has placed some people in my, in my sphere of influence, and he says, that's enough for now. Mm. And I can be okay with that. And, and know that, do I actually believe that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-present? And why do I now just embrace my limitations? Mm. Mm. I, I think the hardest thing for us human beings to to really see as a gift is our limitations. Mm -hmm. Because Hmm. I think then we will be open to miracle. 
Mm. We've kind of pushed miracle out, out on the on the margins because that seems we can't get credit for that. Yeah, seeing our limitations as a gift. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's almost anti-American. It uh, is. It's it's like anti everything cultural that happens around us. You know, we. The, I'm in the middle of writing performance evals for people and and working with people. And one of the questions that comes up in performance eval circles is, what are your weaknesses that you need to strengthen in the coming year? What do you have to work on? Like we. Right. We see those weaknesses as things that need to be overcome. And, and you're talking about limitations and saying, actually, there's some good in that. There's good in not being perfect in everything. There's good in having limitations. Yeah, there, there, there is good in that because then you need other people. Hmm. Mm. Because we... I, I think what has been fed in American evangelicalism is it's about keeping score. It's about gaining status. It's about being superior. That's that breeds competition. And one of the most powerful scriptures, I, I think, is Philippians 2, where Jesus empties himself he becomes weak mm. intentionally yeah. to say, this is the best thing that can ever happen to you. The hardest thing to ask for is help. Mm-hmm. Because it reveals our limitations. And Lord knows we don't want to be known for our limitations. No. But Reggie. The opposite, but the opposite of that, but the opposite of that is mystery. Hmm. That God shows up in a way you never expected him. Hmm. And, and, and what we are trying to do is to kill mystery. And say people, more, say more about that. Well, I mean, there's this all through through the through the Bible that we pay we pay very little attention to the miracles because we like to think, well, that's not going to happen. That doesn't seem logical. Mm-hmm. You you can't put that on a calculator. But what it does open us to. It's to believe that God is up to something more than what we can see, feel, or even imagine or count. And if we are willing to embrace our limits, how might God show up differently that we actually begin to pay attention to grace? Mm. This is Mm. undeserved. Mm. It's a gift. And we are antithetical to gift than I earned it. Mm. As, as a uh, firstborn perfectionist, you have just changed my life 
Reggie, <laughs> this whole, this thinking of limitations as a gift and paying attention to mystery. It sounds like, you know, um, uh, we're, we're one of the things that in faith formation ministries we're exploring a lot in the last year and, and moving into the future is faith practices and the daily sorts of practices um, beyond Sunday morning that that form our faith. Um, uh, one of those I'm hearing is embracing this idea of limitations are a gift, embracing mystery. What are are there are there faith practices that you have found formative in your faith? Um, in, in your throughout your life, or maybe things that have changed recently that you've experienced. Yeah, uh, I think one that, that's just that's kept me. One that kept me pastoring for, for those twenty years is is to wake up each morning and to say these words: "Lord, how are you going to show up today to me? Hmm. How are you going to show up?" When you show up in the homeless guy from Utah who keeps coming into the church, and I don't know why he keeps coming, but he keeps coming. Or are you going to show up in a little child who says something just profound and it, and it deepens your joy just for that moment? Or will it be in the wisdom of an older person who tells you a story and that story lingers? Mm. How, dear Lord, how are you going to show up to me today? Because he will. If you just pay attention to the signs, he will bring your way. And then I, at the end of the day, say, I count how many ways he showed up. Wow. But that, but that takes a different posture of saying, how do I pay attention? Hmm. Well, we, we don't know how to pay attention anymore because it's, we're, our life are, is, is just fast, busy, and full. Yeah. So what does it mean for a family to say to one another, how did you see God today? Hmm. And I've not been perfect in this by no stretch of the imagination. I I do not do this well. And but I I just keep reminding myself, how are you going to show up today, Lord? Maybe it's Chris coming into my office. And, Say, man, I'm glad you came in. Mm. Or it's an email that you get from a friend or someone who just sent you an encouragement that you really, really needed. Or, or a friend who asked for advice and, and you just feel honored that you can give that advice. Mm. That's formation. Yeah. That's not, I didn't give you a program. Right. Those, those are ordinary practices, notices and wonderings and postures of how, how, how do I put on my faith eyeglasses and to notice where God shows up? 
Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm just sitting here going, I'm soaking in wisdom from you. Um, just not unusual. You usually do drop a lot of wisdom. So, um, but I, I I'm sitting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's just for me, daughters. Uh, I, I'm sitting here going, um, you know, that in some sense, the way you describe it is so mundane. It almost seems boring. Um, it is. And on the other on hand, purpose. on the other hand, there there's tons of riches there. And I, I think it goes back to something you were saying earlier that, you know, in the North American church, we want to we want to earn it. We want to prove that we're worthy of this. We want to do something heroic and monumental and you're like, no, it's a simple prayer. It's Lord, I, I, help me to see how you're going to show up today. Um, there's such a rich simplicity in in how you're framing that um, that I, I'm finding myself encouraged and challenged uh, mm-hmm. to enter into that type of of simplicity. One of the things we've been kind of thinking about talking about is how do we describe what this whole podcast is about, like? How do we actually talk about it? How do we depict it? So we landed on this logo that has a, a church pew, um, kind of a pew bench taken out of the church and it, it's sitting on grass. So outside and, and we see it kind of as a, a conversational place. Maybe think of it as a church pew in the park, um, kind of merging those two spaces together. Some parks also have like a, a speaker's corner or a place where somebody can stand up and talk. They do presentations from, they can kind of let the world know what they're thinking about. Let's imagine for a moment, there's a few of us sitting on the park, the church pew bench out in the park mm-hmm. and you get invited to stand up and say, whatever's on your heart. Um, kind of, this is Reggie's hour. Um, what's, What's the what's the one thing that you get up there and you would want to say, all right, folks, when it comes to life in God's kingdom, here's what I got to say. This is the one thing. What would you say? Why do we work so hard for what God has given for free? Hmm. Unpack that a minute. That's not my own. It comes from Donald McCullough who wrote a book on grace. And, and he, he used to be a, a seminary professor, I think out um, in California. Yeah, at, he was at San Francisco. And he wrote this book on, on grace. And, and it just kind of symbolizes uh, kind of a counterintuitive way of how we think about grace, but more important, how we behave about grace. We we know that grace is free. Do we? Hmm. Mm. We, we, We look at, it's easy for us to get mad at a welfare mom who's getting something. But it's quite another thing if we're getting it Mm-hmm. We rename it. That's not grace. That's that's not a handout. Mm-hmm. 
when the whole thing is a handout. The whole salvific business is while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you and me. That's a handout. Mm-hmm. And and we we've drank the Kool-Aid of here's an old semi semi-Pelagianism. <laughs> I earned this. Yep. There, there used to be an old, I don't know if Chris you remember. There was an old commercial done by Smith Barney investment. And it had the old actor, John Houseman. He says, as Smith and Barney, we do things the old fashioned way. We earn it. (laughs) 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. To me, why do we work so hard Hmm. for what God gives us free because when you earn it you hoard it yeah wow yeah mm. there's a whole nother podcast episode in that last phrase wow. right there. yes oh man wow wow we, we got to stop hoarding grace yeah yeah reggie thank you so much for taking this time to just to just wonder um, and and to share with us your experiences, your story, um, yeah, there's there's so much here that that that's so rich. Um, so thank you for doing that. If if folks who are listening would like to get a hold of Reggie, um, you can get in touch with him by email at rsmith at crcna.org. And to learn more about the work that Reggie and his team are doing, visit crcna.org slash diversity. And there is a wealth. It just it, it's just worth googling that and visiting the website alone because there's so many amazing things happening um, and stories that are being told there. So thank you, thank you for taking the time and um, just just spending this time with us and being open to wonder. Thanks for having me, and this is a wonderful, wonderful outlet. I think that you guys are a great team, and this this is going to bless a lot of people. So thanks for putting this together. It's our pleasure. Thanks, thanks Reg. Yeah. Open to Wonder is a podcast by Faith Formation Ministries. If you've enjoyed wondering with us, leave us a review. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at CRC Faith Formation, on Twitter at CRC underscore FFM, or you can send us an email at faithformation at crcna.org. And we love hearing from our listeners, so please do. You can also find us online where we share toolkits and resources for growing faith. And all of those are in the show notes. Thanks for listening.